Well, thank you again, worship band. What a gift to us you are as we worship together. I can remember this as if it was yesterday. I, it was, I was bussing tables at Shakey's Pizza in Janesville. How many have eaten at a Shakey's Pizza? I don't think there's any left anymore. Um, but uh, that was my job. I think it was going out of my senior year and, uh, or junior year. And I can just remember bussing tables. And I don't know if you remember much about Shakey's, but it, um, it had a lot of long tables. Um, I don't know if it was necessarily recognized as being the cleanest place. Um, but I, I know that we had uh, lots of food. I can hear things like the pressure cookers and the deep fryers. Um, everything, I think, was deep fried. I think he even deep fried the pizzas. I don't remember. But um, Mojo's, I mean, all this stuff was going on. And I was busting tables. And a particular day, I can remember that we just couldn't keep up. You know, we would have this, um, what was called a munch brunch. And those of us who worked there affectionately called it Pray to Pigs, but I, and I don't know if I should even say that. Um, but there was a lot of food being consumed. The tables, it was a space almost as large as the sanctuary here. And uh, people were eating, and then when they were finished, they were leaving. And I was running around with one of those tubs, grabbing the mugs, grabbing the plates, and just doing my best. I remember when I was working there, the owner of it would ask us, as those who are busting tables who are, you know, like, 16 years old to watch people who were not who were eating off other people's plates. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. Um, but I remember it got so busy, I just couldn't keep up. I was the only one busting tables, and it looked out there, and all the hard work I'd done, and it looked like all there was left was tables full of um, empty glasses and, and plates. And I was working hard, and, and I can just remember I was going along by the door. There's some um, booths near the, the side wall there, and I saw a family that was uh, enjoying a meal, and as I was going by, all of a sudden, uh, a gentleman, I assume the father of the uh, family that was there, came up and he placed a $20 bill in my pocket, and he said, I appreciate the hard work you're doing. Why do I remember that 40 years ago? Why is that so vivid in my mind, in my heart, and my spirit? Because to me, it was an act of compassion, and a radical act, act of hospitality. It's the mark of the church. Today's text is a challenging one. We, we started out, first of all, looking at uh, Jesus, who is the, the God who knocks upon the doors of our hearts, but even more so on the doors of our churches, asking if grace and mercy can enter. And then we had the story of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples as they remember God's deliverance, right? The Passover. And he said, what did I do here? As if Jesus didn't think the disciples would catch on, at least to know that, well, you just washed our feet. But something else was happening. The sense of hospitality, compassion, care is the mark of Christian discipleship. I expect you to do the same for others. And today we get to a text, and, and frankly, it's a tough one. Now, Andrew gave us an overview of the thrust of the text so well, and that story of that young man getting food from his classmates, for me, just captures it so well. But when you look at the whole text, it's a challenging one because it identifies those who are faithful and those who are not faithful. It's not like a parable which we would read and it would carry the current times there was a shepherd or drawing water or um, 
casting seed. Those would be common, and they were demonstrations of a spiritual truth and the nature of the kingdom of God or who God was. This is more like an apocalyptic drama. The king comes before all nations. And in this time of judgment, sets aside the difference between the sheep, who are those who are faithful, and we're going to read a portion of the text of that, and then later on, the text we aren't going to read today, but then he, then he addresses the goats. Now, let's just be honest. Goat doesn't mean the same thing today as it did then. Um, you, you may be, um, let's see, what does the um, G-O-A-T mean? Thank you, thank you. Greatest of all time, and it's, it's not what this text is saying about those who are goats. The sheep are those who remain faithful and act in a way that honors God, even when they're not aware of it. But in the same way, the goats don't act in a certain way, and they didn't realize that they were ignoring God. It's not an easy text. And if you read through it, you're going to see nothing in reference to what you believe, there's nothing referencing being born again or grace of God. It's simply casting judgment upon how we live. And the, the tension here is that so often this text is used for fear. But I'm hoping today as we visit this or revisit this text maybe that we will see it in light of the context of its writing and certainly in the context of the message of the gospel as a whole. So let me read to you uh, a portion of this judgment offered to those sheep, those faithful. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food? Or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it when we saw you a stranger and welcomed you? Or naked when we gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, just as you did it to one of the least of those brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. When the sheep are listening to this, they said, well, I can remember helping an individual who was looking for food, and I, I, I took them to the restaurant and fed them. That, that couldn't have been you. Or, yeah, I took some clothes to the uh, clothing uh, place to offer clothes for people who don't have them and access to them. Or I visited some people in jail, but gosh, Lord, I remember your face. I don't, I don't remember this. The text goes on in the same way to say to those goats, it says, I was hungry and thirsty and, and you didn't respond. This is, well, you weren't that person I saw on the street, were you, God? So this sense of judgment comes and it's a challenge for us to see how is it that it is in relationship to the sense of the gospel. There's no reference to theology, thought, or belief system. It's simply based on behavior. To say the least, this drama creates tension for us, doesn't it? But my concern is that this is often used to simply incite fear in people, to get you to comply, get you to do something. And it just isn't the nature of Jesus' message in the gospel. 
In fact, if you look at this, chapters 23 through 25 has this kind of aim, as Matthew records, of pastoral care and encouragement. Was this text intended not to create fear, but encouragement for us? Whether or not Jesus' image of the king, those on his left, were sent to eternal fire is hyperbole, just trying to emphasize something, taking, not taken literally. It still kind of brings that frightened image. But simple fear doesn't, doesn't move people. It, it's about, not about the nature of the kingdom of God. In fact, just prior to this, uh, Matthew records the parable of the talents. And it concerns about telling us that operating out of fear is not the way to respond to God's provision. Remember the story that the talents were given out to a variety of folks and the amount didn't matter because it was generous whatever God had given or this, uh, this person who was offering the talents out as the parable tells us. But it gets to the one, the parable, the talent, uh, only one was given. They say, Master, I knew that you were a harsh person, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter. So I was afraid. So I hid the talent in the ground. Fear paralyzes us and causes us to act in ways that not honor God and bless others. And it certainly isn't healthy and rich for our own lives. Jesus is about moving into purpose and meaning, abundancy and blessing. But yet fear is used, right? And we can see it today. It dominates a lot of the world power. Leaders use it for political advantage, creating fear. Businesses create fear in us about how we act or behavior, what we eat, um, to, to gain private pro- uh, profit. And groups of all kinds use fear to advance their agenda. So when we read into this parable fear or this uh, apocalyptic drama, fear as opposed to faith, we miss its primary message. It actually should move us to a space of, a space of holy assurance that empowers action. It gives us the sense, it shifts us from damnation to a sense of possibility. What could we do? Notice that everything that this parable is asking about, food and water, clothing, hospitality, companionship, is the very nature of what we have access to. In 1 John, we read this, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have have boldness on the day of judgment. Remember, this apocalyptic drama is about judgment. And yet, in this, the author of 1 John is reminding us that love has been perfected among us, so we can have boldness in judgment. It's not about fear. It goes on to say, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not reached perfection in love, that reach perfection. And those of us who have been United Methodist long enough know that that was our founder's phrase for us. We're going on to perfection. I can remember being in a conference, ecumenical, and they were going through all the different denominations that got the United Methodist. Oh, and you United Methodist here. You're going on to perfection. How's that going for you? <laughs> Thanks a lot. Um, but Wesley's emphasis was like the text in 1 John. It's perfection in love is our call. That's the work of the Spirit. That's sanctifying work. 
Love is the goal. Love is the heart. Demonstrating itself so evidently in hospitality and compassion and care, the heart of this drama is that God is calling us to be aware of how we act does matter. It's not only that these things of food and water and clothing, companionship are the most important, they're also most readily available to us as a gift to offer to others. Can we think of this drama, the sheep and the goats, as good news? Because it simply is asking us to share what we already have. That seems to be the true center of this drama for us today. Food, or water, um, compassionate ear, or listening, or caring, or visiting those who cannot get out. I think we can find and feel the enlivenedness of this passage to remind us that we can be resources of God's grace and mercy, making a difference. But there's also another message in this. It's one to say that it's calling us to just simply live out what we've been given. But another challenge, and we hear it all the time, is that what if I'm not sure what I believe at the time of judgment? What happens to me? I mean, it's been the mark of Christian faith to believe in certain things. But you know what? Even with good teaching and proper theological understanding, there's still mystery, there's still struggle, we're still human, meaning we have limitations in our ability to even to comprehend. To be sure, to what we believe is important. It, it, it's central to how we live our lives and how we connect ourselves to the world as God calls us. However, belief can strangely be a stumbling block for some of us. Some of us are even embarrassed about our struggle to understand the traditions of the church. We don't get the position or our statements, or maybe we're struggling with certain creeds that were created thousands of years ago and trying to understand it in its context today, and then we, we feel like we're just being kind of, well, we're, we get a little fearful, and, and we start to shut down. We hope nobody notices that we struggle with our belief system. This drama, this sense of judgment, says nothing about what you believe for entering the kingdom of God. It's all about our living out in the way of compassion and love. I think I mentioned one of the great blessings is in this church is all the mission and service and care and compassion reaching out to the very ones this parable, this drama talks about. And I was journeying to St. Ben's to, uh, to be a part of the meal program and celebrate the opportunity to be in communion with them. And then to learn out that the one who invited me is a self-proclaimed atheist but they feel it's safe here for them. This drama tells us that when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. The nature of our character and our being, God is honored in that. It should release some of the pressures of us trying to figure out that we have it all figured out. The reality is God is just simply asking us to understand that how we care for each other is the mark of the kingdom. And sometimes we have faith that leads us to action, but sometimes action can allow us to experience faith. The old tendency that the church grows by people coming into the worship center is how we build the life of the church. This 
This drama reminds us that sometimes it happens because people are just being faithful and love and compassionate. But what if the foot forward of the church is judgment? Condemning people for not believing the right things. May we be reminded that expressions of love is at the center of the kingdom of God. And James, if you haven't read James lately, I encourage you to do it. Just be ready because it's going to challenge sometimes. It creates tension between grace, God's unmerited love to us. And at the same time, if that unmerited love comes, it changes our behavior. Be do not do, uh, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, James reminds us. Mercy overrules judgment. What good is it if people say that they have faith but do nothing to show it? Claiming to have faith can't save anyone, can it? James asked the question. Someone might uh, claim, according to James, you have faith and I have action, but how can I see your faith apart from your actions? Instead, I show my faith by putting into practice and faithful action. So how is it this parable might be encouragement to you? It's not centered on fear. That's not the nature of the gospel. But it's letting us know that ultimately we have this opportunity, even in our struggle to get the right beliefs and get everything in line and, and say the right creeds, there's a sense of clarity that acts of hospitality and showing compassion and love to those around us is the center of what God is asking us to be. Be careful that you think it's the goat that gets the, the place of honor. It's the faithful action of the sheep. Our church is trying desperately to honor God in the way that we move forward with our faith and, and how we express compassion in the community, moving beyond ourselves. And one of those wonderful things that the church has done is they placed an emphasis on that. And by hiring on staff an individual who's focusing on that very thing, trying to help us be outward focused, um, Director of Congregational Growth and Community Engagement. Some of you, many of you might know Jenny, and it just seems like allowing her to play, be placed in that position is a natural moving forward. And she joins an incredible staff, and I'm so excited. What I've learned is the longer the title, the more important the person. So the Director of Congregational Growth and Community Engagement, Jenny Fisher, shares a little bit about yourself um, and your call. And uh, notice that my title is Senior Pastor. Good morning. Thank you for that introduction, Pastor Gary. Um, my name is Jenny Fisher. I know many of you. It's great to see you here. Um, my family and I have been attending UMC WFB for nearly a decade. Uh, during this powerful worship series on radical hospitality, I want to share with you a story about how this theme relates to why our family became active and regular attendees of this church and its programs. When my husband Matt and I first moved to Whitefish Bay from Minneapolis more than 10 years ago, we were looking for a church home with an active children's ministry program. When our oldest daughter Addie was enrolled in Tree of Life Preschool, we received an invitation from her teachers to attend the UMC WFB Children's Musical Performance of Noah's Ark. 
We brought our two small children, Addie and Olivia, ages three and one at the time, to one of the Noah's Ark performances and sat up in the balcony. We were completely awestruck and impressed by the level of family engagement and enthusiasm in this congregation, and especially in the children's choir. We were thrilled to see such strong participation in the children's ministry program by community families, and we were excited to see the talented and enthusiastic staff who poured their hearts and souls into making the children's musical such an impressive production and such a successful community event. It was that performance that encouraged our family to become regular attendees, active servants, and members at United Methodist Church of Whitefish Bay. The story about radical hospitality that I want to share with you relates to the first time we attended the Wednesday night community meal held downstairs in Fellowship Hall. I was invited to the midweek event by a longtime member of this faith community, Joyce Davis. She told me that it was the best deal of the week. I could bring my small children to the church basement on Wednesday nights and a hot meal that I didn't have to cook would be served to all who were attended. At the meal, after the meal, my baby was invited to go to the nursery and my two older daughters could participate in children's choir. I didn't have to register. I didn't have to RSVP. We didn't even have to commit to coming every single week. We just had to show up when we could. At the time we learned about Wednesday nights at church, I had a baby and two kids ages five and under. I thought taking them into a public environment during everyone's bewitching hour was a risky and potentially horrible idea, but I needed a break from our hectic weeknights at home, so with hesitation, I brought them to church on a Wednesday night. When we walked into the door, the most wonderful welcome and hospitality awaited us. We were warmly greeted by members of this church community. One woman in particular, Beth Grobel, who many of you know, has the greatest gift of genuine radical hospitality, introduced herself to me and asked if she could help my kids get their food. She sat with us holding my baby while we were all eight. She tended to the needs of my children so I could relax, enjoy the delicious food, and meet some of the other young mothers who were there that night to start to build Christian community with them. I remember vividly, I felt so welcome and full of gratitude for the opportunity to have a meal and fellowship with this wonderful faith community, and the authentic, radical hospitality is what made all the difference in our family continuing to come to Wednesday night dinners, kids' choir, and faith classes. We love Wednesday nights during the school year at church so much that we have been enthusiastically inviting other community families ever since. We are so grateful that our church will continue to offer Wednesday nights, newly renamed Faith, Food, and Friendship, in the coming year. We hope you will join us on Wednesday nights starting September 13th for dinner and fellowship from 5 to 6 p.m., children's choir, kids' ministry activities, and adult faith-based classes from 6 to 7 p.m. There is an insert in your bulletin that lists the evening schedule and the class offerings. That midweek opportunity to strengthen your faith, nourish your bodies, and build community is a night that you won't want to miss. It's our family's favorite night of the week. We even arrange our busy youth sports schedules so we can make it a priority to come to church on Wednesday nights. 
We hope to have many people from our congregation involved to offer radical hospitality to our guests and be enthusiastically invitational to the people who haven't been invited yet. Please let us know if you're interested in volunteering to make the Wednesday nights successful this year or if you have any questions about the evening schedule or programming. Thank you for your time and we are so grateful for our vibrant, growing, welcoming, and devoted faith community. What a witness to the difference um, and so excited about having Jenny on staff and focusing on those issues and others. So grateful for that. So again, just reminded that the, this text is just simply asking us to share the things that we have and be aware of that grace and mercy is found in the midst of love that is expressed to the cares of others. Maybe you could learn the name of somebody new in the next week or so and, and act compassionately and caring to them. Learn their story, talk to them, be invitational, um, and seek to just demonstrate genuine love. So may God help us to recognize the person around us that we might be the presence of God and realize that our activity is expressed to the very divine in everyone.